When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is Amy, part of the Future Rich team. Just wanted to give you a heads up that because this episode was a little longer than usual, we split it up in two. So part one will be this episode, and then part two will go up next week. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Financial Podcast Future Rich. I'm your host, Barbara Ginty, and I'm also a CFP, which stands for a Certified Financial Planner. And I will apologize in advance for my voice. I'm just getting over... Uh, the flu. So my voice sounds really funky. Um, And I am here with my guest and I'm going to butcher your name because you have to explain where this came from because I don't totally get the reference. Eglantine Money Pants. Did I get it? Yes. That that sounds right. Eglantine Money Pants. It's it's an old family name, obviously. Um, (laughs) The movie. Generation after generation. Yeah. (laughs) Eglantine (laughs) is... The character Angela Lansbury plays in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, um, Eglantine Money Pants, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What's your status? How old you are? How much do you make? All that good stuff. So I am 36, um, going on 37, I think. And <laughs> it's I'm amazing really- how you get older. It's like I, I've definitely introduced myself as being younger, and then I've like, realized after that I told the person the wrong age and I just don't feel like correcting that correcting yeah. myself oh, last year I thought I was 37 already and then someone corrected me so I think I'm still 36 right now but there's it's entirely possible that I was wrong then <laughs> so I'm in this ballpark I'm, I know I'm not 40 I know I'm above 35 we're somewhere in this zone between 35 and 40 I feel yeah. like that is where it gets blurry <laughs> yeah. and um, I live in Boston um, I have a two-year-old um, I am a professor and I make, uh, $58,000 a year. Um, and we have, so our, ha- we own a house, um, and we rent out the first floor. It's a two family house. Oh, that's awesome. I love rental income. Yeah. It's how we were able to do it. So Very cool. Now, and you said you're married. Yes, I'm married and, um, he also makes about the same. Um, okay. So you both make so then as joint income you bring in about a hundred and twenty thousand gross as married filing joint. Well, yes, in theory, we've never actually filed joint, so that number sounds oh. huge to me. You, you do married filing separate? Yes, because I'm going to try and do PSLF in a couple months. Um, oh, okay. So yes, 
because I graduated grad school in 2007. Um, mm-hmm. And then the first two years, basically, of repaying my school loans didn't count. Um, and then I finally sort of got in the in the jet stream or whatever of the right program. I got on an IBR plan in 2009. Um, okay. And so I should be eligible like now, but um, but your first two years didn't. Oh well, 2009 until yeah, this would be your tenth. Yeah, so I year. should be really close. But, have you checked on it? Uh, I have tried, but Fed is the most evil. I know it's the most. So I'm really glad <laughs> that we're talking about this because we're launching a student loan class. Great, and we're gonna have a whole video just devoted to the public um because what you gave the acronym but it's public service loan forgiveness program exactly which so for our listeners at home we have this is one of the sections in our student loan class but what it is is it's if you work for a qualifying um employer it after 10 years of consistent on-time payments you can have the balance of your loans forgiven and there is no tax ramifications the other programs you have to pay the tax on the amount of debt that was discharged Exactly. Only problem with it is the most complicated, convoluted system I've ever seen. And my first loan servicer, like way back 2009, 2007, was closed down, I think, in 2011 for being so terrible. Like the federal government literally said, you are so bad, we are closing you down. Oh, um, God. So my that's when my loans first got transferred. And they went to Fed loan from there? Nope. No? Nope. Then they went somewhere in between who they were actually much nicer, but um, so then I didn't actually switch to Fed loan until a few years ago because when I tried to get initially into the program there, the thing that's unclear to me is if the first company knowing they were so bad was literally just lying to me to try and keep me or if they literally didn't know. But when I asked to join the program, their response was, there is no paperwork. The government hasn't made it yet. You can only join after you've made your 10 years of payments, that's when you do what you pay. That is totally incorrect. But I don't know if in 2007 that was incorrect because they had just done it. You know what I mean? They created the program. In 2007, I was asking. But the government loves paperwork. I've never heard the government ever starting a program that doesn't have paperwork required. That's generally, but I feel like I've heard from other places that this was one thing that they like made the policy, but not the, or they made the program, but not the policy. I'm forgetting. And then they put it in place. I mean, public policy people that I was talking to that they were just. There was a lag. I I will check on that. I find that hard to believe, but the government does usually pass things into law and then there can be a lag with the protocol, you know, the process and when you started on it. But either way, so I'm in Fed loan now, and I tried to ask, or I did, I have requested multiple times for an audit um, over a year. It was maybe almost two years ago now that I requested the audit, and I still haven't received one from them for my total number. Oh my um, and so for their official number, they only have from when I switched to them, because apparently their computer can't read the documents that they received, and it takes a human to read them. They don't have a human that can read them? Well, they have, I think, one human for the entire program. Uh, <laughs> and That I one think, poor human. Exactly. <laughs> all by themselves in this huge government building alone. So when you call, the women that you get on the phone seem to be able to see these records, but they can't make an official tally. Like they are not, you know, no one has, you know, knighted them to say, you are allowed to say, yes, this was a qualifying payment. Um 
So the last woman I talked to about a month ago, two months ago, I try not to talk to them too much because they kind of give me a panic attack. She said that I should try in February because even if, because every time you switch loan servicers, there's like at least a month forbearance or something. Okay. And and those months of forbearance don't count towards your payment, even if your previous payment and next payment went zero. Because for a long time, I was adjunct, which means you make almost no money. So my loan payments, my qualifying loan payments were actually zero for many years, which was awesome, except for that on the books, it looks really confusing, even though they were qualifying payments. But this final woman said, looking at it, she said, yeah, it looks like you should be able to, she said, I should be able to do it in December, but she would wait till February just to make sure. Well, we're definitely going to have to follow up. Yeah. The statistics on it, I think only 1% of people have actually succeeded in having it forgiven. Yes. Yes. The statistics are quite low be- just because of exactly what you're talking about. And it's not so much that you're you're following everything they're telling you, but on the other side, the government side, they're just not providing clear information or clear instructions. And it kind of just seems like a hot mess on the government side. And I think because the loan servicing companies have zero incentive to actually follow through yep. the program, they make money only while you're with them. So if they discharge your loans or forgive your loans, they're not making money off me anymore. I know, but it's a government program. So <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> but like, they literally have zero incentive. And now that Davos is, you know, heading them up, it's like, there's no, yeah, uh, it's a mess. So yes, that is my plan for my school loans. Um, and then how much do you think will be forgiven? I I can I think it's a hundred and forty six. I can pull it up. Okay. Thousand. Um to be that will be um, <laughs> and then um I also have like twenty thousand left of private school loans, but I kind of almost don't worry about I mean I'm paying them, but I don't worry about them in the same way. How long do you have like what's your payment period for your private ones? Do you know? I don't. I feel like I've been paying from the beginning and it doesn't seem like it has done anything. I was so that's what I was going to ask you because that's something we talk about in the class, yeah. especially with the private lenders. It seems really unclear, or at least they don't make it very clear what your payment um, program is. Like if you're on the ten year or the twelve year or twenty year or whatever one you're on yeah. um, with the private lenders. But so you've been paying a consistent on time payment since two thousand nine or two thousand seven. Two thousand. I've been paying since two thousand seven. It's just that my my federal loans weren't consolidated till 2009. Oh, okay. Got it. And so but you made, previous payments, paying, even though I was paying like $1,000 a month back then, didn't count towards the 10 years. Right. Because you have to consolidate them and to, and be, to be in that program and be on the income base. Exactly. But with the private, you've been paying them consistently since 2007? Yes. Do you know what you're paying a month? I'm paying, I want to say 215 a month. And Jesus. And you've been paying them for, we're approaching 13 years? Yeah. That sounds insane, right? Yep, it does. That's why I want to ask you about it because I feel like we probably have a problem here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was just so small. small. It was like less of a, you, know, you don't think about that it. was over 100,000 was always where I focused my energy and making sure I was on the program yeah. or, you know, whatever. Then, yeah. So as of right now, you have already paid them around thirty-one thousand. Oh so let's take a look at your private one. Even though it's a definitely okay. a much smaller dollar amount, yeah. I have a feeling that we probably need to check on how the payments are being applied okay. to make sure that you can actually get rid of them in the next. Yeah. So because you don't want to pay another ten, find out. No. I and I don't. 
how this is legal. This is my personal opinion. Oh, I agree. So my husband has mostly private loans. And so we've been like really working on those. But since my one private loan was so much smaller, it's always just been kind of like- Like last thought. Yeah. So we've been really tackling kind of his private loans because he had over 100,000. Wow. And we're down to like 60 on his. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Um, Except for that he's already paid. It was insane. It was so bad. It was like basically subprime mortgage bullshit with his for so many years. Like he's paid, he took out, I think 70 in the beginning and he's paid, I think over a hundred thousand already and we still owe 60. Yeah. And the private ones are really scary because they don't structure your repayments for you to ever pay them off. I haven't met anybody who's like, yeah, I made the payments and after 10 years they were gone. I've not ever met a person like that. And that's supposedly the standard repayment is 10 years for private. And I've never met anybody who paid for 10 years and was paid off. So I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Just to give you, if you listen to the podcast, my sister is Natasha. She comes frequently (laughs) and she's an attorney and she's very smart. Um, Even though she says I make her sound not that smart. But we went over her student loans and she was so frustrated with it. She's like, this is impossible. I am smart. And this doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. And I was like, I know this is how people get so frustrated. I feel like they just throw their hands up and say, you know what? I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to make my payment. This doesn't, you know, you call and you get wrong information and they won't help you. And then you just give up and deal with it later, I think is kind of, or you deal with the more pressing. How is it legal for them to give us wrong information? I don't don't get that, but they do. I know for a fact that they give wrong information. I I called a student loan lender one time with a client and they said, you're not allowed to make principal payments. And I'm like, that is, that is illegal. Like you are allowed to always make a principal payment. That was, I was diving in trying to figure out because we were making big payments for um, my husband's to like try and attack it. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, basically we're aiming at the highest interest rate ones because they're at like 10%, the highest oh ones. Oh my God. Yeah. And so, and in the fine print, it was kind of, it was so strange. It was saying no matter what payment we made, they would, it was basically trying to say that it wouldn't just go to principal, that it would pay any fees or interest first. So they, do, and then, yeah, they do have a clause that your payment, um, it will default to if you make if it's not marked specifically and they've added this over the years like this wasn't around I don't know a year when I first started working with student loans it wasn't around um, but they now yeah. put it in the fine print that any overpayment almost automatically with private loans not all but most of the ones I've seen it defaults to um, an early payment for next month or paying any additional fees or anything like that they don't default to pr- uh, principal yeah even and, and the federal loan I think is the same yeah. I have tried. So in one of my weird forbearance things, basically with, I don't know how much you know about the IBR plan or how much the audience knows, but you have to recertify every year with your income. Yeah. And, and with your so they send you a letter every year saying now is the time. But when I transferred over to FedLoan, they didn't send me the letter mm-hmm. to say now's the time to recertify. Um, and the only letter I eventually got was saying you never recertified. Your payment is now going up to $1,300 a month, whereas I had been paying like $80 a month um, or 50, something like that. And it was, and I was just like, hold the phone, right? And I have to, and I called and all this stuff. And the women on the phone are always very nice. They're very good at placating you and calming you down. Basically, there was nothing they could do, even though they made a mistake, except for putting in a forbearance for a month while I applied for my IBR renewal. 
And so that was one more month's forbearance before. Yet they were able to send you the letter to tell you you missed it, but they weren't able to send you the letter to tell you to recertify. It was so bullshit. Yeah. I, I feel like it's such a scam. Yeah. I I mean, and I've been saying it's a scam for like so many years now. So hopefully yeah. we're going to air this podcast when we launch the class. So hopefully the class will help people because it's unfortunate. And, and usually people don't pay attention to it for a while because it's so frustrating. So you just kind of give up on it until you realize it's not going away. And then you're like, okay, I really need to tackle it. Yeah. And then you've just lost so much time and money. I'm half assuming I'm going to have to apply. And this is where I don't even know the actual name of the program, which is terrible. I, and I almost don't even know the letters, but it's, there's a program for if you get, once you get rejected from PSLF, like after you've applied and been denied PSLF, there's like this special pot of money that you're then eligible for. And it starts with like an E and it's another acronym. That's like, is it earn it, uh, the earn it, the one? No, it's literally for people that should qualify for PSLF, but the loan servicers have basically screwed them over. And you have to have been in a qualifying thing for one year and you will have had to do still the 120 payments, but it's okay if some of them, basically if you were misled during some part of it or something and they set aside this huge pot of money, but again, only 1% of people that are applying for that even getting it because people aren't following all the rules. But I'm kind of half assuming I'm going to have to do that one. I don't know. Um, is it still called the same thing? Is it just the expanded? I can I can look it up. I'm on this like Facebook group forum. <laughs> like people like me, basically. It's like this academic moms with school loan debt. <laughs> and it gets talked about a lot there. So that's kind of where I knew about it more. Okay. Um, um, I can try and look it up. Um, let me see. I know that they have the temporary expanded public. Yes, that might. What, that yes, it? it's the temporary one. Temporary yeah, exactly. Public service loan forgiveness because so many people get denied. They could get yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. So it's the TEP SLF. Yeah. So I ha- I'm kind of assuming I'll have to do that, but you have to apply for the first one first. Yep. Okay. And then when you get rejected, then you can go into that one. Um, yeah. Okay. And there was one mom in one of those chat rooms or Facebook groups or whatever that finally got that after applying for the regular PSLF and being rejected like three times and then applying for the temporary one, I think twice. But she said persistence. So yeah, I'm going to go with that. The key with it is documenting everything, having your own record yeah. so that when they say, oh, we lost the form or we lost, because it's, they lose it, they lose it, right? Um, right making sure that you have your own documentation. And then honestly, I agree with that. It's you have to be persistent. The government doesn't really obviously seem to care whether or not they uphold their end of the bargain. So just, you know, being persistent and every time you get rejected, going back and being like, nope, I should be accepted. Here's all the things I've done. Here's all the documentation. Let's do this again. It wouldn't be like that, but it's unfortunate. But let's take a look. I want to take a look at what is going on. It feel it sounds like you have your husband's loans under control that you're making progress that those are going down. We've just started to. Um and the kind of tricky thing for me, and I don't exactly know the right way to say it, but basically I uh, we had a tricky patch, was it last summer? Not this past summer, but the summer beforehand. Okay. Where he wasn't entirely sure he wanted to continue in the relationship. Yeah, fun times. That was a nice way to say it, right? That was Um, touch. (laughs) Yeah. And so what I have kind of put in place 
is that any money that I put towards his school loans, if he chooses to leave, he'll have to repay me is like the idea. Yeah, I think that's 100% fair. Um, Right? I think so. Um, You're just documenting everything you pay for his. Yeah. Okay. And I have an email basically from him saying that he agrees to it. We probably need to get it notarized, but that's what I have so far. Yeah, I would this edit is like, notarized. He agrees to it and we've written it down. But trying to figure out like what. How to allocate. How aggressive. Yeah, allocation. How aggressively we should be working towards his. How much, you know, like all the stuff you always do on these shows. How much for savings. How much. Because I'm. So I guess one thing that might be helpful is how we kind of keep our money. Yeah. If that makes sense. Definitely. Um, Sorry. So we went to the student hole. We went into the student loan black hole. Yes. It is literally a black hole because it's so much money. Um, <laughs> and it's so dark. Um, it's scary. <laughs> it's scary. Exactly. Um, so we have, we each have our own bank accounts and then we also have a joint account. Okay. And I wrote out how much we put into each of the accounts okay. when we get paid. So we each get paid every two weeks. Okay. And so every week, every two weeks rather, sorry, into my account, I get nine ninety four. Okay. And then I put five hundred into the joint. And every two weeks he puts six hundred into the joint and eleven hundred goes into his account. Okay. And we're going to probably adjust his up for how much he puts in the communal account because we realized, or rather I realized, I pay for our health insurance out of my paycheck. Um, lower. Yeah. And so I'm paying about $600 a month for the family's health insurance. Okay. Um, and so I'm wanting it to be feel a little more even. Just because you make about the same amount of money. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and then in rent, we get... Eighteen fifty a month. That's great. Yeah, Boston. I mean, it's crazy. We're in one of the cheaper neighborhoods. So, and how um, does that help cover what's your mortgage? It really does. The mortgage is eighteen eighty eight a month. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So you guys are really just having to pay for maintenance, insurance, and utilities. Yes. And yes. Okay. Though it will go up. The way our mortgage works, um, we bought our mor- or we bought our house through a program that was made for kind of low-income people, mm-hmm. um, which my income is a little bit more now, but Boston low income is higher than many places, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, and- you're living in a city, so the cost of living is more expensive. So yes, for our listeners who maybe are li- living in the Midwest, 58000 doesn't sound like low income, but it's based on your cost of living. Exactly. And when we bought the house, I was making closer to thirty thirty-five. Okay. Um, he was making closer to 40 when we bought the house. So the program we bought under is called a soft second. So we technically have two mortgages. Um, so we don't have to pay PMI. Yep. And, um, and you didn't have to put the, as much down, right? Exactly. Well, we put, yeah, exactly. We didn't have to put the 20% or whatever not to get the PMI. Yep. We still had to put three or 5% or whatever. It wasn't like a 0% down. But yeah, you did three uh, or five and then they did two mortgages so that you don't, because if you put less than 20, you typically have to pay primary mortgage insurance, but with two mortgages, they back for you into that. Okay. But on the smaller mortgage on the um, 20% one, Mm -hmm. I guess is how I describe it, right? The PMI one or the not PMI one. Yep. Um, Right now for the first 10 years, it's interest only. Mm -hmm. Um, So the mortgage will go up after that 10 years is over. Okay. And you're approaching that for five years. Okay. Because the thought is that your income will be higher. 
so that you exactly. can be able to afford it once that, that rate, well, not rate, but once that payment goes up. Exactly. Okay. But so for now, when we have another five years, yeah. essentially you're paying taxes, maintenance, insurance, and utilities. Yeah. And $30,000. Exactly. Actually, the taxes are included in the 1888. Oh, they are. Okay, great. So it's escrowed. I, yeah. Boston taxes, I think I might be the only person who believes this, but I think they're far too low is the reality for oh. making that much. Um, <laughs> like, you know, taking charge in rent, they should be charging way more for <laughs> for home taxes. Yeah. I property. know the reason I always forget they're escrowed because on my property where I have my office, I don't have them escrowed. So it's like a oh. thing I think about because my tax bill is actually higher than my mortgage payment. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is that nuts? Well, I hope the schools are good at least. Supposedly. Supposedly. I think they are. I don't have kids in the schools, but um, yes, that's why my taxes are higher because of school tax. My school tax are almost as much as my property. Yeah. So our our property taxes are actually, to me, I think relatively low. It's like 4000 a year or something. Oh, yeah. That is low. Yeah. Okay. So your your living situation is great. I think that yeah. what you you utilizing that program so that you could get in without having to put twenty percent down, no PMI, having um, income is phenomenal, and you're building equity. So that that was a great move. Thanks. Yeah, we think so. Yeah, we absolutely. So. And just so people know, it's not um, without work. I would imagine that it involves. Support. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of work on all fronts and a lot of yeah. sweat equity. I guess yeah. is how you. you I know, know people who are just like, I want passive income. I'm going to own real estate, and I'm like, well, I don't know who told you it was passive. I mean, yeah. when the toilet breaks, the tenant calls you. <laughs> yeah, you hope the worst is when they don't. don't. I know. I have tenants, and I'm always like, please call me. Like, don't wait yeah. for weeks and then tell me there's a problem because it costs more. Really? Um, mm. Okay, so then with the money after you you have so health insurance is covered, you have um, the joint account pays um, for whatever uh, utilities and maintenance on the property, but the taxes are escrowed and the payment and the payment is almost fully covered by the tenants. Yep. And then you pay your student loans out of the joint account or out of your no. your separate account. We pay separate accounts. Okay. So then, yeah, let's talk about this because you've been then taking money out of your separate account, paying off your husband's, right? You've been focusing on his, but you've been documenting that in case that he does want to leave the relationship that you would get reimbursed for that. Exactly. Paying down his. Yeah, that's tricky. So you still feel comfortable doing it? I feel like me, I'd be like, well, I don't know about this anymore. I do because I think... Because you have that document in place? Because I have the document in place and... If we are, it like it makes sense for our family. Like, so we have a two year old. I don't know if I included that. Yes. Um, and so I want us to be together forever. Um, and I'm hopeful we will be. <laughs> um, and we had couples counseling and all this stuff. Like, that was actually an investment, which I highly recommend if anyone um, is on the fence whether to do it. I think it was a lot cheaper than getting divorced at the time. Um, <laughs> so I am hopeful. And like the plan right now is that we will be together forever. And so like him separately paying 10% on $100,000 didn't make sense. Yes, right. Because once that money's freed up, our lives will be a lot that, better. Absolutely. Yeah. You'll have a lot less financial pressure for sure. Yeah. So then how much of your, how much money do you put towards his loans on a monthly basis? So I don't do it monthly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to do it annually or or biannually. Um, Wait, so like last summer, I put seven thousand. 
Ah, um, okay. So you just accrue the money. I just want to make sure I understand this. Yeah. We don't really have a good system. We only really started attacking it like kind of after our relationship got really rocky and we were kind of like, okay, what? So like, that was almost two years ago now in a sense. It was like, okay, what will make you happy? Why are you depressed? What's happening? And he felt like he didn't have enough time. And since I'm a professor, I get a lot of time to myself. And my work schedule is very flexible and all this stuff. And I get all this time off. So initially we were saving to try and get it so he could take the summer off. Okay. And so we rebudgeted budgeted his whole budget so that he would have enough to take three months off in the summer. So he, in theory, wouldn't be depressed and in theory wouldn't leave us. Okay. But then he never asked his boss for the time off. Oh, dear. Um, and then – but he had saved up a three-months income or actually he had saved up four months income by that point. And then we decided, oh, if we just put this towards your school loans, we can pay off the high, most highest interest one that was like 11% if I chucked in $7,000 with it. Okay. And so we paid off like it was $22,000 or something. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So we just like put it towards that. And then once that happened, it was like, oh, this could feel – I don't know if there's like the – I don't know if this snowball or avalanche. I don't know. Some snow term, right? Yeah. Um, There's two methods, snowball and avalanche. You're right. They're both snow term. Yeah. Both winter <laughs> winter themed. Right. It's a, it's a ski situation. <laughs> situation over here. But I'd like to be able to go skiing again someday. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it was when I put in that huge chunk of money that I was like, okay, I need this in writing if I'm putting this towards this. Absolutely. Um, now, do you think and- some of the financial pressures contributed to him like knowing that he owed so much money and- yeah, it did not help. Okay. It did not help. I mean, there was a lot – I don't know how much – there was a lot of other stuff going on like post-pregnancy. I was not necessarily the nicest person and like going back on birth control, I was like When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.